Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios as we get ready to continue on on this road to Roland Garros. Big guest on today's show. He's been a writer, editor in the tennis world for a long time. Uh, I won't say which years, but way back in the day, he was two-time WTA Writer of the Year uh, and an avid outdoorsman. Peter Bodo joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In. Peter, thanks for joining the show. Delighted, delighted to be here. Actually, I uh, I wanted to kind of just start with this. I mean, we're in that we're in that anxious time of the tennis season because we're a couple weeks before Roland Garros Road there, uh, which is always a great time, and then it just flips right to Wimbledon. So we're going to crown two Grand Slam champions before we know it. Uh, and I'm always just following the subplots and the storylines, and you know, the road to Roland Garros, I guess, paved with pretty good intentions this year, but. The storylines are, are are just abundant. Like, I can't think of a time, Peter, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, where there's just so much intrigue going into this major on both the men's and the women's tours. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think the way, you know, history has conspired in a lot of different ways to make this one of those special special moments. You know, it's one of those SEMA moments. You know, we have the big three are no longer quite as effective and powerful and, and unbeatable as they once were. You've got a whole class of player right below them bubbling up and really pushing and starting to break through. And then you've got younger people in there. I mean, witness Alcaraz and Sebi Corda and a couple other guys who are pushing those guys. So it's actually getting, getting to be quite a bottleneck up, up there near the top of the draw. Yeah. You have Rafa who's been the King of clay, although he didn't win last year coming off of an injury, Djokovic with the match play, the young players, which you mentioned, we're going to get into all that specifically starting with Rafael Nadal, who, is playing as we record this against David Gofan, but he plays Kekmanovic in his first match back from injury. The cracked rib situation didn't get the full clay court swing, but no surprise, right? He comes back, he plays a guy who's been doing well, and he just beats him pretty handily, one and six in the tie break. Are there any issues with, in your opinion, knowing Rafael Nadal for all these years, he's been in the top 10, 17 straight years, with the lack of preparation, the fact that he might not be as comfortable in his mind he loves to play all these tournaments is there going to be any drama any issues with him not being able to get that full clay court tune-up you know oddly enough if 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 he does have a problem it's not going to have to do with lack of clay court experience i mean look Mm -hmm. the guy's played quite a few clay court tournaments and you know i don't think at this stage in his career he needs to win seven of them before he goes to roland garros on the other hand Uh, I think one thing that does kick in there is something I've kind of always called champions fatigue. It's kind of like metal fatigue. You know, you've been metal long enough, eventually it breaks. And it's just, it's a matter of usage. So I think champions fatigue kind of sets in for for, for everyone as they get older, uh, 
you know, after they've won a lot of tournaments, after they've, they've won big time, guys who aren't champions never really get it to the same degree because they're still trying to make that one breakthrough tournament to win a major or something. I would look, I would look for that. You know, you get that bad dip on the day when somebody else, one of these young guys who's serving like a monster, uh, you know, gets hot and stuff. I think there you have kind of a, you know, a potential flaw or problem, you know, not to mention guys who legitimately can beat him on clay like Djokovic. So, you know, uh, at this stage in a career, I wouldn't, I don't take anything for granted for any of these guys. That's true. I mean, we, the masses, we take for granted just how easy it's been for him, but it's going to end at some point. Now there, these champions are amazing at just pushing the, the end date so far back, but I always look at Rafa as a creature of habit and that he just loves the preparation, the process. Like you said, he doesn't have to win these tournaments, but you could tell that he was, you know, upset that he had to skip a couple events. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do when the competition stiff, stiffens up. Could get Alcaraz coming forward, Novak Djokovic, this Madrid draw, which oddly enough, Peter, all the seeds have been winning. And you can't say that at all for the women's side, but this, no, is, right, exactly. this has been chalk so far, and it, it starts at the top. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the other thing I think you remember with Rafa, too, is, you know, you, you kind of never say never on these things. Remember that period he went through a couple of years ago when basically lost to Fonini twice? And he, yeah, he, 2015. You know, yeah, and he was, and he looked like a wreck out there sometimes mentally. So, you know, you, you, you're never you're never too far from that edge of that cliff where over if you go over you've got a big problem mentally suddenly you've got a confidence problem you've got a double fall problem etc so those are things you have to look out for i think but on balance you know it might be a good thing for him too that he's got you know that he can actually pour all of his energy into getting himself into the kind of physical and mental shape that he wants to be in that he has not been able to do because he's had so little play that could work in his favor because it keeps you know the sort of demons out of the head maybe yeah, and you're going to get into the French Open. You're going to have to eventually, the guys on tour are going to have to beat this guy three out of five in sets. So that's still the challenge there. Uh, very few have ever been able to do it. Uh, Novak Djokovic, one of the guys who's done it, uh, has been steadily improving his fitness and his match level. I don't think there's ever really been a time for him, certainly, where it's about getting on court, finding that championship fitness level and that match play level. He's starting to kind of get to that point. We started to see signs at Serbia. He was on the court at his tournament in Belgrade. He beat Simone Fies for the 18th time in a row. And today, as we record this, got the walkover with Andy Murray, not able to uh, compete as well. So on the Novak side, Peter, he's starting to get back on court. He's starting to push himself. He's starting to ramp up. How are we monitoring his progress in terms of the ultimate goal, which is more Grand Slams? Well, I think this was a big week for him. I think it's kind of a pity didn't he didn't get the chance to strut his stuff or to, to get embroiled in something with Andy Murray. It would have been a great occasion for us today. But, you know, I think uh, so. However, this turns out, it's kind of a win for him already. The fact that he is where he is, uh, even though this last match is a walkover, isn't the best best of situations. But I, I think coming in, I, I had a lot of questions about him and I kind of still do because, you know, he had a lot of time off. He's been through a lot of what you might call adversity with the, you know, whole vaccine issues and stuff. So, you know, these things, you know, tend to wear on someone. They can really, you know, get people thinking in a different direction. You, we don't know what his fitness level is really. I mean, you know, any player you talk to, they tell you they're working really hard. They're working 110% and stuff, but you know, they don't always, you know, there's sometimes they'll just kick back a little, you know, look at other aspects of life. So I was really curious to see this week on whether he's going to be able to sort of pull it together and, and play some statement tennis, which he appears to be doing. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, belittle Gail Monfils in any way, but that matchup's kind of 
been a dream one for Novak his whole career. So it's hard to really learn anything from him beating him again. I will say this, and it kind of goes against a lot of what you were saying and what I think, but it was important for him to have a lot of those three-set mats in Belgrade to just stay on the court, I think, and just kind of figure some stuff out. And I've always thought that adjustment-wise and just tactically, he's one of the all-time greats and that in a number of categories. But we'll see, right? Like, we'll see when the competition ramps up. Rublev was the final match in Belgrade, and he, he lost going away in that one. He might get Nadal. He might get Alcaraz. The competition is going to have to get better. I just, I've been monitoring his progress thinking, how can he continually improve and how can he get back into that championship form? Because if he gets there, I mean, it's an apex that only Nadal and Clay can really reach. Yeah, yeah, it would be very tough for everybody else. I, th- I think the other thing there is there's one, one important thing that I think people often overlook is, that, and, and, and a lot of players have said this, you can't substitute for match play. You can't practice for playing matches, basically. It's a whole other world when you get up there. It's a whole other world mentally, and it's a whole other world physically, and it's a whole other world emotionally. And that's what Djokovic needs to experience some of those things. So he's not out of the woods yet in terms of being like totally dialed in and prepped for the French Open. He's off to a good start now, I think. But I agree 100% with you. I think it was good for him to be exposed in those situations in Belgrade where he was, you know, really flirting with disaster. That's really ideally, you don't want to do that but it's if you do it and you survive it it's great for you so we'll see but there you know there are definitely there's still quite a few questions we we need to see answered especially as you see when he when he gets in there against some of their the really tougher players well i'm glad that that at least we're proving that this theory holds up against anybody because he'd be the one guy that'd be like well i don't know if you need match play even Novak, even the great novak Djokovic is proving that you need it so it's good it's yeah, a good lesson yeah. out there um i do want to mention andy murray I, I know he wasn't able to play today but it was the controversy about getting a wild card. He wins two matches, Dominic Team, who's not back into form, and then Dennis Shapovalov. And it's really a remarkable situation that he even got that far, given the fact that he was kind of checked out on clay court season, decides to take the wild card when presented to him in Madrid, wins a couple matches. It's just really, and I would use the word refreshing, Peter, to see him out there biting still. Guy really doesn't have anything to prove has all the issues, the metal hip, as he's mentioned, and we've all seen, but he's still competing and he's showing his love of the game out there and still grinding out wins over excellent competition. You know, the guy's a pure athlete slash player, and he's really very old school. And, you know, it actually shows in his game, too. He's got a very DIY kind of game. You know, sometimes when he's toppling over on a serve, and, you know, sometimes it looks like all the parts moving in different directions. So he's by no means... Your cla- you know, take your model of Roger Federer as your classic smooth tennis player. He's about as far from that as you can get, other than maybe checking some Brooksby's in, the, in another yeah. one. But but you got to love Andy for that spirit he has. I mean, sometimes you want to say to him, hey, Andy, put the racket down, take a few steps back, take it easy. You don't have to do that. You don't have to yeah. go through all this. But, you know, the bottom line is he loves it. And, you know, I think the real question with him, though, I think is so much of his game was predicated upon that movement and an unbelievably quick transition from offense to defense, et cetera. I mean, I think that's, you know, kind of a challenge, you know, the combination of age and what he's been through with his hip and stuff. Those, those, that's a pretty big challenge to get through. I think in a way he's going to be almost better off at Wimbledon where he can actually play really, really fast points. Um especially if he gets a serve dialed in. But, you know, it's just great to see him yeah. going on. Like I say, he's totally old school, old, old-fashioned, old down-to-the-bone tennis player. So Federer is like smooth jazz, like very graceful, like an orchestra. Murray's like rock and roll or just like grunge or something where it's just <laughs> it's really intense. Exactly. 
Yeah. Then you got I agree with uh, I agree with that, and I also think that the biggest thing for him is the second, third matches in these tournaments. And one match rested com- on competition level and grit and heart, whatever you want to say alone, I think he can beat just about anybody in one match. It's that recovery with all the injuries he's had with the lack of movement, having to play maybe on back-to-back days. Wimbledon, I agree. I think that would be his best chance to really make a run. But I do think that he has to get off the court a little quicker. There's times when he's kind of playing three hours, dragging out, not closing out on time, and that will ultimately affect him later in these tournaments. But that's been a signature throughout his career. I don't know how many – I remember matches at Roland Garros where French (laughs) Open matches, you think, well, Murray's doing well. He's up two sets to love, and he's playing a French guy. Everything's good, and all of a sudden, three hours later, it's like five all in the fifth, and Murray's screaming in his box. (laughs) You know, you can't do that anymore, Andy. That just is not going to work for you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Peter Bodo here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Well, one of the guys that I think everybody's uh, crowned, and for deserved reasons, is Carlos Alcaraz, who is into the top 10. Uh, just I just celebrated his 19th birthday, I think, today as we record this. So he's still a, a teenager on the rise. Everybody is heaping praise on him for deserved reasons. And I guess not to, be, not to rain on his parade, but I'll ask the question just open-mindedly, Peter, what can really stop this ascent if anything because it just feels like a matter of time at this point he's winning on hard court he's winning on clay are there any obstacles in the near future that could kind of derail the the crowning well yeah i mean you can't really identify obstacles but what you can say i think and or i can't identify any obstacles really but what i think what you can say is that like all the rest of us these players are always changing as their careers go on. And when they start strong and start young and they're really, really hungry and, you know, you know, the world is their oyster, basically they're, you know, they're they're the darlings of the crowd and, you know, it, it gets easy to build that momentum and to just, you know, sort of get locked in and get off to a blazing start. And that's what he's done now, but then things do come up, you know, and, you know, you get a little controversy here or you get, you know, an emotional thing going with, you know, uh, you know, a partner from the opposite sex or whatever. And, and, you know, so you get into these situations where you don't know how players are going to react as they mature. Because the one thing we know for sure is that he's not a completely mature person. You know, he's still got a ways to go to be a mature adult. So it's it's wait and see period. There's no question at some point it's going to face adversity. And, you know, then you have to see how he reacts and how flexible he is. Yeah, well, I can just say I know how I was at 18, 19, so I agree you're yeah. not a completely mature person. Uh, no, I mean, tennis players go in slumps. It's a year-round It's a year round competition. You're going to have matches when you're not at your best. You have to find a way to fight through that. That's what makes the big three as special as they are. And uh, I also think, too, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, I use a guy like, and I love his game, too, Jensen Brooksby. He's different. But I do think that players, when they see you for the first time, they're not going to know what to expect when you, it's like a pitcher in baseball. When you get to see them again, you'll adjust, you'll adapt. And I do, I don't think anything's really going to ultimately derail Carlos Alcaraz, but I think that when these players see him a couple of times and they try to attack things tactically, I'm just curious to see the development in the process there. 
Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, people are going to figure out, you know, at some point that, well, what, what you got to do is play is take the pace off. Uh, you know, somebody's going to try it and somebody's going to be successful with it potentially. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, when you have the thing with him, I think that's kind of interesting. It's almost like he's like yet again, another step in the evolution of tennis and tennis players in that. I don't know. I mean, what, what, what I see is entirely solid. I mean, there's yeah, like, there's no weakness. There's, there's no glitch. There's no hitch, you know, to the point that, you, you know, you, it's hard to get a handle on exactly what his game is, partly because it's still developing, but also starting because he's so solid in every department. And I yeah. think so at that point you say, well, either you find that magic technical flaw that you can exploit, you know, like he doesn't hit his low backhand cross court well, or that, you know, uh, on service, if you can actually, you know, served, he's very vulnerable to the body serve. I don't know. These are just things that hopefully, or presumably some other coach will notice and, and somebody will affect, but until you get to that point, it's kind of scary. He is, he is solid. And, and in every sense, he looks like almost in a way, like a next generation Nadal kind of a guy. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of I guess frightening would be the word I'd use if I was playing on the tour because what do you what do you do with a kid that like this that's ultimately getting better and better and getting smarter each day? Uh, he would get Rafa in the quarters and then he would presumably maybe get Joker in the semis. We'll see. I mean, and that's you know you're measuring him against the greats in the game now. He's currently the third favorite to win Roland Garros, so I, we'll see. I'm curious to see another crack at Rafa. They played a great match under those brutal, windy conditions at Indian Wells on hard court, but that's the ultimate test, right? How do you stack up against the greatest ever on clay? And one interesting thing I think that comes into play here is that a guy like when you get a guy like an Alcaraz popping up, he could actually up sort of upset the apple cart and disturb the entire pecking order. You got the pecking order. You got, you know, this is Nadal's piece. This is Djokovic's piece. Now, if, if this guy pops in there, let's say he wins his tournament, beats everybody who's in his way and wins the tournament. Suddenly everything's changed for yeah. everybody. Mm -hmm. So that would be an interesting thing to keep an eye on and watch. Can't wait to see what happens. Um, other storylines with Madrid before we move on to the women uh, on the male side. Uh, you look at some names that have been around the game, been around the top five for a while. I'm looking at Tsitsipas and Zverev. Accomplished players, accomplished clay court players, but do you get the sense, Peter, that they kind of are in need of a big result here? It's been a little bit the top, the, the Alcaraz types are coming up. I feel like they kind of need like a big result to get them right for the the road to Roland Garros and the chance to really be a contender at the French Open. Well, I agree 100%. I mean, I think Zverev has been the real, for lack of a better term, disappointment. I mean, you know, when he, the way he came on at the age of what, 18, it was like, he was like an Alcaraz moment. You know, when you won, he wins two Masters and everyone thinks this is the heir apparent. And he was, you know, Miles, he qualifies for the next gen finals but doesn't play it because he actually makes the ATP tour finals, you know, <laughs> top eight in the world. So, I mean, and I, th I think that's really been, you know, I, I won't say disappointing because it makes it sound like it's personal. I'm not disappointed, but in terms of, you know, what you see in, in what results are projected and what people expected and what the guys got to bring to the game, there's definitely some, there's some flaws there. There's some real issues that have kept him and may continue to keep him. This may be evolving. You know, these guys, this, this first wave of the next gen guys, they could be evolving into, you know, that Beardick Ferrer mm. kind of generation where they're just off the pace yeah. by a little bit, but never kind of get through. It's tough, and I should also point out as we were recording, uh, he got the walkover win over Musetti, so he keeps going uh -huh. a set and a game into the second set, and that was it for Musetti. Uh, 
I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I do think, though, that those those guys, the Burdick Ferrers, they were born at the exact wrong time. Like, they were the exact same age as the greatest ever, you know? Um, but I, 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 I see what you're saying in terms of Zverev came up. He was a prodigy. He didn't really have a lot of weaknesses. Something happened. Now, I'll tie it two together. Zverev and Tsitsipas both losing brutal major finals and not having one yet. I want that that has to weigh on you at least until you win your first one to be that close and not to have it and knowing that hey, as good as you are you may never get this chance again. Yeah, look, you don't know you can do it until you do it. That's mm-hmm. the big trick with these with with the big Grand Slam finals, and I think every bit of every bit bit of experience in that way, positive or negative, goes into the mental bank and and has an impact. I'm I'm really, really tired of that expression, scar tissue, which everybody continues to use every five minutes. But the fact of the matter is there is is such a thing. And I think with these guys, Tsitsipas is another one. These are, to me, Zverev and Tsitsipas are two pretty flawed players. You know, I mean, with Tsitsipas, it's more... He's got this strange, he's almost like the loner guy who doesn't really fit in. And and he's, you know, the whole controversies with the father, the whole sparring with some of his opponents and, and, and the other guys in the locker room. You know, that ultimately shapes and impacts results and, and how you're feeling about things. It's, you know, the bathroom break controversy yeah. he's got into with Murray at the U.S. Open and stuff. Yeah. Those are all... You know, those are kind of bad signs for a player. I think they're yeah. not. They're not the sign. If it's one thing if he's winning tournaments and Grand Slam tournaments, but he's not. So you know, that's a problem. Yeah. I think. Sitsipas has been outside of Djokovic and, and Nadal, and I guess you'd have to go back to team. He's been the next best guy on clay for the last couple of years, and I do like his game. And I actually don't even think that the loner issue necessarily is an issue because I mean new look guys like Jimmy Connors in the past like you could win as being that outlaw type but I am in full lockstep with you on the topic of the bathroom breaks and the coaching because that's not that's not going to be good that's going to derail him the Alcaraz match at Barcelona it was a tragedy that that's what it's remembered for because the level was so high but then he takes an unnecessary break and gets stock penalties and the wheels fall off and I wonder if emotions he's an emotional guy for better or for worse that's where I wonder if you can stay in the fight for seven long best of five matches like it all comes back to like you said you don't know you can do it until you do it even if you're a game a set a couple points away I think there's also in his case a lack of a real lack of maturity there which and it's kind of a shame he was so refreshing when he came on the tour I mean I remember the first time I interviewed him was at the U.S. Open he sat us down in one of the back rooms after one of his matches you know, I had like a 15, 20 minute chat with him and it was, and he's talking about his vlogging and about this and about that. And he was really, you know, he really was a nice kid. He was kind of like, uh, like Alcaraz isn't particularly expressive or, or vocal. So it's, it's a little different, but some of the other guys like, uh, you know, really kind of light up a room when they walk in, they're young, they're full of energy. And he was like that. And he's gotten, he, he's gotten different. You know, there's like, I don't know if it's a sour streak. I don't know if it's an arrogant streak. I don't know what it is, but he's not that nice kid anymore. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to win a grand slam, but it's tells you that there are things changing in this guy. Well, I still think that he's got the potential uh, and, you know, people can evolve and change. And I definitely think that his game is there and uh, we'll see. I mean, Monitoring emotions. I just want more at the top. We're going to get to the women in a second, but it would be nice if Sitsipas and Zverev, and when Medvedev comes back from you know his injury, it'd be nice to have a little bit of depth in the men's game. We're just we're so used to just the consolidation yeah. of slams. It'd be. I'm looking forward to you know, these guys all pushing each other. I'm with you on that. 
uh, as I do want to switch to the women's side now, uh, the big story at Madrid or of who's not playing is Iga Svantec, the runaway number one player in the world. She's, she had won four straight tournaments coming into this event, uh, three Premier 1000 events, just a remarkable run. Were you surprised, Peter, that Iga took the mantle so fast, like instantly from the time that Barty announced her retirement, that there was like a two-day gap maybe where we're like, oh, who's going to be the apex predator in the women's game? Those questions were answered in record time. Apex predator sniff opportunity <laughs> better than their, peer, their rivals, actually. So basically, I think the opening was there. She bolted through it, and it was pretty uncharacteristic given the way the, the way the WTA has been trending in recent years. It was very uncharacteristically, you know, of, of her to actually go through that way and to sustain it and to keep at it, which is one of the reasons I think the French Open will be very important for her. If she, I mean, if she can wrap up the French Open and win that, then you've suddenly got a player, you know, the first player, you know, even Ash Barty wasn't quite in that league in terms of, getting it together. Naomi Osaka was pretty close to her in that, in that hardcore period, but that, you know, that you got a player here now, you think, Hey, this person really has the kind of stick to and the kind of, you know, grit that it takes to stay on top for a reasonable period of time. Yeah. She is an incredible athlete and uh, has the all court game, junior Wimbledon champion. So grass is probably not even an issue either. Um, I do want to ask you this and I've talked to some of the, been lucky enough to talk to some of the great champions on the women's side uh, from a couple of generations past. And I get the sense they're not outright saying like they, everybody loves parody and upsets and storylines, but the, the, that former era, I'm getting a sense that they, you know, they want to see, you know, the top players emerge and have these rivalries that we missed from yesteryear. I think, you know, having parity and upsets are good, but where are you on the notion that we can have a couple top players that are consistent, consistently getting deep and winning these grand slams and maybe building some new rivalries? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I, look, there, there really are two ways to look at that. And, you know, when I, when I worked on the book with Pete Sampras, he was, his, one of his big things was that, look, tennis needs, tennis is rivalry driven. Uh, on, on the other hand, it's driven when you have a Sampras and an Agassi who are coming at it from the absolute, you know, uh, epicenter of the tennis culture and internationally that spreads. It's a little bit different if that rivalry is Krejcikova and, you know, Misaki Doi. You know, I mean, that whole, you know, there's, there's fan interest, you know, let's face it, let's be realistic, both, you know, globally speaking, and there have to be certain kinds of personalities make for a rivalry that people really tap into and that yeah. really elevates the game and takes it higher. It's interesting. I think the interesting parallel there kind of is, is with the NFL. The amount of parity now in the NFL to me, despite, you know, the success Kansas City's recently had and, and New England's had for a long time. It's, you know, it always comes down to the wire in, the, in these seasons. It's no, no more is it dominated by four or five teams. Mm -hmm. So I think you have that kind of situation now on a women's tour. I would like to see a dominant number one, but yeah. a person who can be challenged and who is beaten, you know, occasionally yeah. or who ends up in, mixed up in a great rifle. That would be the best thing for tennis is to have a target. Yeah, the, that that is, I think, the uh, commonality in all these perspectives is you want a you want a true number one, a true world champion, so to speak. And tennis, <laughs> women's tennis, has it now, and it's good to see. Uh, looking at this Madrid tournament, though, the the polar opposite by a long shot of what's happening on the men's side. The uh, WTA, the seeds, just getting kind of dismantled early. Uh, we're into the semifinal and final round, and nine out of the top ten barely even made it out of the gates. Do we attribute that to just a blip in the radar? I know the altitude's a big deal, clay court tennis. 
Why do you think this draw really became unraveled so fast? Well, you know, some of this is kind of tradition, you know, some of it is, you know, uh, you end up hearing something often enough, you end up believing it and you end up doing it, you know, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like that's become, you know, the, the coin of the realm is that lack of either lack of depth or complete saturation of depth. I kind of tend to think it's the latter. And it's partly because you see in like an F1 racing, which I'm not a huge fan, but I just conversationally read something the other day about how these rule changes and everything has kind of leveled the playing field. And now instead of having these three big rich teams dominating the racing, you've now got eight or nine or 10 competitive teams. And I think that's a little bit like what's happening in, in women's tennis. And it's because there's, you know, in, in F1, they put certain governors and certain restrictions upon, you know, the, upon a technology. And in the women's game, I think because the women are, don't, you can't win with pure power quite as much or not as many women can win with pure power as among the men and just blast people off the court. So I think the, the, the ceiling is closer to most people than it is say on a men's sword. So I think that makes more in the same way that clay is a leveler. Yeah. I think in, in that sense, the women are looking at a much more level playing field because, right. and so many of them are actually not getting such good training when they're young and they're coming up and they're able to hit every shot. I mean, you remember when women, you know, the second serves were like, unbelievably you know bad you know they you know there's no even first serves even when they get their first serve and the pace was you know 65 miles an hour it's very different today it's really changed an awful lot and the women are much stronger athletes my lasting memory of that is serena williams taking like two full steps inside the baseline in like major semi-final matches (laughs) and you knew if the first serve wasn't in it's like point probability 90% Serena is going to win like on a winner. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. No, I, I agree. I think the surface special, uh, there are certain players that are, I don't want to say specialists, but do, do much better. You can look at the numbers of on clay versus on hardcore. So when we get to this time of year, this is the second really big clay court tournament. So there is that adjustment period there uh, for some that are doing better on the hard courts. It's fascinating. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A couple more things here with Peter Bodo on Tennis Channel Inside In. One player that didn't do well in this tournament from the get-go was Naomi Osaka. She lost to Cerebus Tormo. Uh, And all props to Cerebus Tormo, but watching that match, it was clear that Naomi wasn't even close to her best level. A lot of unforced errors, a lot of issues for her in that match. So my question is, what's a reasonable expectation for Naomi's level, this multi-time Grand Slam champion, surefire Hall of Famer, former number one, but on clay, what's a reasonable expectation for her game? Uh, I don't have a very high expectation for a game. I don't think she has the desire. I don't think she has the kind of stick to that it requires, especially on clay. Uh, I don't think she's got the kind of, she can't, I think, moderate her game in, in a way she probably needs to. These are all a lot of can'ts and don'ts, but look, it all goes back to the fact that she hasn't been a very happy person, you know, since, since last year. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on with her. And I think when there's a lot going on in that way, when your emotions are involved, it really makes it that much harder. So, you know, 
I, I, it was encouraging, you know, I must say that when she came there, she was talking about, you know, watching, I think, Rafa and, and modeling some of her game on his and trying to learn from, I thought, hey, wow, great, you know, instead of that negativity that we had last year, when she pulled out of the French, we, you know, we have something more positive now, she's looking and picking things up, and she likes watching this stuff, and I was saying, well, good, she's, you know, maybe going to come through with it and stuff, but I don't know, long term, I, I don't know how into she is how into the profession she is. That's a real big question at this point. It's fair. Um, I think it's also fair to say that clay court tennis, you probably have to be the most patient. You probably can't just be quick to end, end the points on your terms necessarily. And in that match in particular, she just played, uh, uh, by all accounts, a, a true clay court player who is grinding out a, a long match and willing to go the distance. And it's something else where she needs a lot of reps. She didn't play clay court tennis hardly at all last year. She's had a couple clay court matches this year. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that she's got plenty of opportunities to win more majors, but if you're going to tell me on clay or grass, I don't know that I see it just yet until there's some tactical and also maybe emotional changes to how she approaches the sport. But uh, it's yeah, hard. I mean, yeah. And people have been very supportive of her and, you know, rightfully so. And also of Ash Barty, which you took her back. There's nothing wrong with this. Look, Naomi, mm -hmm. if you're not really happy and don't like the yeah. clay, don't let the pressure you're under when you're having to play on clay, don't play on clay. Yeah. You know, take take four months off. I mean, it's not great for the game in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of advancing the game and promoting the game. But, you know, it's, I mean, I'm a big believer in players, you know, having a latitude to live their lives in a way that mm -hmm. makes them most comfortable. So why not just, you know, play the hardcore events. Two, for sure. Two, you went to the year, you'll be fine. Yeah, uh, the, for sure. She's more than fine. Uh, and, and it goes back to what you were saying about match play. There's no there's no uh, replacement for that. And I shouldn't even use this as a bad example because Jill Teichman's still in this tournament about to play a semi, but she beat Naomi in Cincinnati at her mat first match back in a very long time. And it was, look, and you can do whatever you want. Like we said, you have that right to not play the events you don't want to. But the WTA doesn't stop. These women are playing year-round, round, you know, around the world, getting that match play in. They are in tennis shape. It's tough even for her, even for Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, to just jump back into the grind when these players are working on their game 24-7. And that's probably a good thing because, you know, it's, yeah. it's yeah. kind of a fair world in a yeah. way. And, look, you have a price to pay. The fact is – whatever you do you got a price to pay and i think people realizing that they can't have it both ways is a very valuable and important lesson for everyone well somebody that i think is definitely built for this clay court service in this run maybe my favorite player to watch on the wta is uh, Anne Stubor, and she's into the final yeah. of madrid and uh she's, I th doing, she's, she's doing it her way and, and look i think it's fair to say like i just i'm a fan like a lot of sports fans in general of different things where i like to see different unique style of play and she's doing yeah. it in a way that we don't see, uh, dismantling the competition. Halep, who, nice comeback for her, but, you know, she pushes her aside. And then Alexandrova today, who she was like one and six against head-to-head, -head, beats her in straight sets. This has been coming, Peter, for a long time. She's put in time. She's made progr progress in every tournament. I think she had the most match wins last year. This has been building, and it's just a joy to see her breakthrough happen at a premier event. Yeah, you could almost hear her grinding her teeth after she had that lost words in Charleston, I think. And, yeah. You know, like, all right, I got to make this happen for myself and going out there. And God bless her, especially given the things she had to overcome to make it on a professional tour coming from Tunisia. It's, you know, it's a, it's a great effort on her part. It's, it's really the best facet of tennis. It's the, thing that, it's the thing that makes tennis great in a way is when you have somebody, these stories like that and people come out. And then you realize how much it's about 
the individual, not mm-hmm. about necessarily the training or which academy you went to and which high profile coach honed your strokes. It, it's a, it's also about your your individual guts and desire and talent. She said a quote recently where she's like, I just love the dirt. I just love, you know, rolling, basically just rolling around out there and, you know, getting dirty and playing. I'm impressed by a lot of reasons. And, you know, the, we can talk about this shot selection, the backhand jumping, you know, slices and all that stuff. But what really impresses me is you see a lot of players on both tours that have their career year. Last year, she was like one match away from making the finals, played all the time. There wasn't that drop off the next year. There wasn't that, you know, sophomore slump. She built on that. And she's built on, you know, like you mentioned, losing the Charleston final, feeling really bad about it. She just picks up her racket, goes across the world, and, and now she's into the final of a, a 1,000. Just keep looking for people to beat up on. That's you know? yeah. <laughs> what it comes down to. Well, she's going to get the winner of Pagula and Jill Teichman. Jesse Pagula it needs to be mentioned here, Peter, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, after Serena Williams, who's going to be the next women's, you know, top American player, and is it going to be Kennan? And then you have Sloan Stevens and Madison Keys. That, they make their move a little bit, and then – you know, we have Danielle Collins in the Aussie Open final. What Jesse Pagula has done in the last couple of years has been the model of consistency on the WTA tour. Saw a stat where it's five, five quarterfinals, 1,000 events. So week in, week out, it seems like she's getting a couple match wins under her belt at the very least. And what she's done this tournament is play a lot of downhill tennis, wins over Andrescu, uh, Cerebus Tormo yesterday. She's two matches away from the biggest title of her career. It's, it's going to happen for her. I think she's just too good. She is just, she's kind of like, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to take the analogy too far, but you think of like an Alcaraz and his, it's kind of airtight game. She's her, her game to me seems pretty, pretty tight that way too. It's she's, she's tough. She's dialed in. Uh, you don't see a lot of silly mistakes. You don't see a lot of lapses of concentration. You don't see a lot of, I haven't looked at her day-to-day scores over the past, you know, six months that closely, but I don't see a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys in her production she's you know and there's a, there's a kind of a calmness about a calm yeah. determination about her that i really like uh and i think that really really bodes bodes well for her she's she's a very very tough out i i agree completely and i think the uh the story for me is, is a lot of times variety and versatility and i guess i didn't realize until this year watching her more closely She'll come to net. She'll mix it up. If plan A doesn't work, she has options out there. I credit her coach, David Witt, who worked with Venus Williams all those years. And Mm -hmm. just the fact that she was able to, I mean, recommit, commit more fully, however you want to put it. This was later in in her tennis life than a lot of players to have this breakthrough. Yeah. And there's not, you know, and and there haven't been a lot of ups and downs. It's been kind of a long, slow rise. And it's been it's been going well. A lot of the other players have, have had their ups and downs. I mean, look at Kennan. I mean, Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was and I was a big Kennan fan. I, mm-hmm. I think it was Wimbledon. I think when she got to the fourth round before she really made a big breakthrough. Mm-hmm. But there, watching her, she looked terrific. She looked so smart. She looked so solid. She looked so tough, basically, so impervious mm-hmm. to the pressure that you get. And she had a couple of good wins here, uh, uh, but you know. But look what happens, you know, uh, all kinds of things, you know, emotional problems there because of the father, you know, the injuries, all these things. So, you know, you never know when it's going to run, when you're going to run a file or something like that. You don't get the feeling like with, with Jessica Pagula that she's got those kinds of, that she's vulnerable in, in that particular kind of way. Yeah. I mean, you, and you don't know often, you don't know with the players because you don't know their complete yeah. life. But 
Yeah, it's uh, it would be fitting if it was Pagula and Jabur in the final because these are players that have put in time. This isn't a fluke flash in the pan. This is a couple years building to a chance for their biggest title. So that would be good. Uh, and then, you know, you got to stay healthy too. That's part of the breaks there. So, you know, the good fortune on their side too. I'll let you get going, Peter Boto. This has been a fun chat. Uh, just a couple, couple of things here, and then we'll wrap up two last things. One being I, I want to give credit to you know, the players that aren't going to be in the finals of these tournaments. But it's good to see players like Simona Halep and Bianca Andreescu. And even for that matter, Emma Raducanu kind of get back to some good tendencies, some good results, and just kind of build up what they're doing. Uh, specifically, I want to shout out uh, Simona Halep, who's missed a lot of time and was just coming into, you know, her own a little bit. I think it's good to see her back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now I, now I got to go and see what's going on with Pushkova, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Uh, and Drescu missed, you know, almost years of her tennis life after winning that U.S. Open. And her on the clay is always a frustrating out for sure. Uh, and then Amirata Kanyu, who was part of, uh, you know, the, the greatest story. I don't know that we'll ever see that again. You've been around a long time. I don't know that we'll ever see someone run through qualifying and then win the actual U.S. Open. Unbelievable. It was like, harkened back to when the first year Becker won Wimbledon, you know, that kind of... Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who, uh, last thing, Peter, who do you think, uh, you know, who do you think is going to, you know, come out with the trophy in Madrid? And what, what storylines are you looking going into, you know, this this final run to the French Open? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm terrible at predictions. I don't like making predictions. I mean, you know, you, as you say, the women's is wide open. Yeah, you'd have to be a fool to like make a prediction and think, well, just, I've got an inside track here on what's happening because, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody does fundamentally. But I, I, I like your assessment about seeing Jabour and Pagula in the final because I mean, look, for the reasons you stated. So, I mean, I think that's self-evident. And yeah. on the men's side, uh, you know, could be Alcaraz. Could be, could be a moment for Alcaraz to continue his breakout. We've seen this, I think, with some of the greatest players that we've had in history where they've gone on a run soon after they're, they make a big breakthrough, like yeah. Alcaraz in Miami, and then all of a sudden they're really off to the races. Yeah. So, I'm, look, I, I would I, I would never pick it against a healthy Nadal on clay. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with Nadal. But, you know, there are a lot of, lot of potential things. I think what's going to be interesting is, on the men's side is what happens to a lot of these second tier players. I mean, these guys who, who, who have come close and sniffed the roses a little bit, but haven't been able to grab them like a Tsitsipas in, uh, uh, at Roland Garros. Uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, I think that's kind of going to be something to watch. Um, yeah. Some of these other young guys, I'm curious to see actually how the young Americans, you know, get on because they've, can they build on a momentum they had in the early part of the year? Yeah. Uh, and it's a big challenge because it's on clay, of course. But, you know, you never know. You always keep hoping, right? It's like there's like four doors, right? Like there's Nadal wins on clay. All is right with the world. There's Djokovic gets to the top of this Madrid, and then suddenly he's back. If Alcaraz runs the gauntlet, we're like, oh, this is happening now. Or like you said, maybe a guy like Tsitsipas or Zverev wins and reminds them that they're still in the race. So. Tennis is in a great place. I keep saying that, and uh, the storylines are plenty. so I just can't wait to see how it shakes out. Uh, Peter Boda, you can find his stuff on Tennis Magazine, uh, and, uh, you know, good luck with Tennis the fly. Go, good luck with the fly fishing as well. We didn't talk about that, but you're like the expert around these parts. No, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love it. It's been a life, lifelong hobby and passion. Thanks, Peter Bodo, for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In, and uh, we'll have to uh, catch up sometime in the future. 
Yeah, you can always find me, by the way, on tennis.com. I'm contributing a lot of columns these days, and it's uh, the website, I think, is a, is a great resource for tennis fans. Absolutely. Uh, thanks again for this chat. Really was a pleasure. My pleasure. That was Peter Bodo on Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll be back next week with another podcast, more tennis talk on the road to Roland Garros. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for this and all the shows on our network. For Peter Bodo, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.